Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. How's everybody doing? Let's stand up and sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? Not a question, but a declaration. Amen. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, robes be white are you washed in the blood of the lamb will your soul be ready for the mansions bright and be washed in the blood of the lamb are you washed in the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb are your are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hallelujah. Seated. Oh, there I am. Hey, I just wanted to give you an update this morning. We have, we're making a slight change. We would normally be doing communion, um, and you'd normally have a bulletin, but we're going to postpone both of those till next week. Our dear Julie fell off of a stepladder last night and broke both of the bones in her left wrist and so she being julie was desperately worried about you all 
and was panicked this morning trying to figure out how we're going to get all that done, and I said, nope, we're just going to postpone that. We'll do it next week, so you'll have good information and communion next week. She did want me to communicate. I've got an email from her. Uh, she says she caught herself with her left wrist. Thank the Lord. She'd like to thank God that it was her left hand, uh, and she will be seeing uh, an orthopedic specialist here soon, to which, of course, I responded, does it hurt to laugh or just text? <laughs> so you guys, just so you know, we've got good care happening for those who are wounded in our body. But Julie wants to send her love this morning, and just uh, she was actually apologizing for not being here and for letting you all down, and I told her that that was not acceptable. So we uh, want to love on her, pray for her, and feel free to, to text her and tell her you love her. So. Test. Yep, there I am. Okay. Good morning. So for those of you that don't recognize my face... We've been gone about four weeks now. Uh, I'm Gary. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I, I'm going to uh, probably get in trouble for this later, but I want to just do a quick introduction. My son, Jerry, and my new daughter-in-law, Lee, are with us here. My daughter, Anna, is here with us today. So Woo! really happy about that. Um, and I guess maybe Julie and I share some... So that I, I got to make a little story on myself. The night before these two got married at a Christian camp just south of Bloomington, Indiana, uh, I was in charge of, of a campfire, which I was building. Now, leading up to that, we've been camping for like a week and a half on the way out there in an RV, and I, I'm, not, I'm a klutz. I run into things a lot. I fall down. I lose things. I... And Tammy, you know, every time I pop my head, she'd be yelling, just cool it. Don't bang yourself up. We got wedding pictures. So the night before the wedding, I'm building this fire. And they have this really nice square fire pit. And it's kind of deep. It's flush right with the ground. They've also got toads. I didn't realize that toads are really stupid animals who are attracted to heat. So I saved two toads out of this fire pit. On the second one, as I came up with this toad in my hand, I don't know whether, you know, like I said, I'm a klutz, right? I tripped, I slipped, something, and I fell, and there's a picnic table, and I hit right here on the bench of the picnic table, broke my glasses, I could feel, I knew I was bleeding. I'm laying there, and I, somebody asked me if I was all right. I said, I'm not sure. Am I bleeding? Oh, yeah. I said, I'm a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> so for the wedding, I had the most beautiful shiner and scraped up eye that you could believe. Broke my glasses. It just, so anyway, I, I empathize with Julie right now. <laughs> All right, on to announcements. Men's breakfast will be next Saturday, June 12th. Breakfast starts at 8, but if you can help cook, come on in at 7.30. Um, and then Craftsman Ministry, is this a continuation chain, or is it, are we starting to meet? Okay. So Craftsman Ministry will be, uh, that's tomorrow, June 7th. 
I'm trying to get my date straight too. At uh, Jacob Tritt's house, those of you that have been in part of that know where that is. Um, if you're not sure, talk to Jacob. Monday night, starting on June 7th, we have uh, a class with Tyler Whitlatch. Um, or is that ongoing too? I've been gone, I'm sorry. So that's a continuation, studying the Gospel of John downstairs in the fireside room. Women's tea on Saturday the 26th has been postponed. Um, so that one, uh, is that a, a Julie thing to find out later? That's okay. We're just, yeah, sometimes we just need to do what we're told. June 19th, that's uh, two weeks from yesterday, uh, will be the church work day. So it's on Saturday. It'll be from 9 to 12. It will be an indoor work day. It's a cleanup day. Okay, so if you're available for that, um, come on in. And uh, I don't know, is there a sign up for that, Bill? Or you're trying to get names ahead of time? Or Okay. And then there's also a, a couple of things going on with the church parking lot. We've got that being resealed. So I'm told that starting on... Friday of this coming week will be the, the cleaning day for the parking lot. The first three days next week will be the actual sealing and letting it dry and cure. The parking lot will be closed those four days. Um, so, well, and through the weekend, too, then, right? No? For the weekend will be open, okay. So anyway, those times that it's closed, uh, the request is just use the, the gravel lots across the street. It'll be okay to walk through the parking lot so that you can come down the steps and into the church building that way. And then uh, there's also, I don't know if you've noticed over here on the fence, there's a big old locust tree laying on the fence that came up during the uh, last big windstorm. And so uh, not this week, but next week, there's going to be some guys working on uh, getting that out of here. It has some chainsaws and axes and whatever. So if you're able to come help with that, that would be a blessing as well. And then the last thing on my list is to call Ms. Elise Brown up here. There she comes. Hello. So we are excited to announce that we will be doing VBS this year. Um, it will be a little bit different event. Uh, it will be a family-style event this year. So I just wanted to announce that. I've got a sign-out board out front. Feel free to grab a button for things that we're going to be volunteering for and what we need you for for volunteering, as well as a little bit different this year. Since we are doing it family style, there will be an opportunity for folks to volunteer to adopt a child. Um, and what that's going to be is if a family cannot be here with their child, it'll give us an opportunity um, to have um, a family here, just kind of have those kids sit with them during the event itself. So a little bit different this year, but we're excited to at least have um, the opportunity to be able to do it. It will be Mr. J. Band doing it. Uh, this year's theme is the Captain's Eye. So we will be doing that. I think the kickoff is August 8th will be the Sunday service. It will kick off there and go through that following um, Thursday. So it will be an evening event. Um, so we're excited for that. Thanks, guys. Won't you join us as we sing Beautiful One and sing of the Beautiful One and His wonderful and failing love. 
next song, Mighty to Save, I have a scripture to share with you guys that the Lord kind of, I don't know, shoved in my face this morning in a very fatherly way. Uh, Psalm 125, it's like five verses long, so bear with me. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And those who don't know what Mount Zion is, it's a very special place, but even if you just think, ooh, a mountain, like that can't be moved. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. It's actually pretty simple. Regardless of the good, the bad, however me and my fleshly self wishes to judge or categorize other people, which one shouldn't do anyway, God's got it all figured out. He knows exactly where I'm going to go. He knows exactly where the other people are going to go. And with all this stuff on social media and how America's going even, God says that he's surrounding us like a mountain, and he's protecting us. And he knows exactly where each person, and he knows their hearts, he knows exactly where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to go. How cool is that? And uh, just think of that boss co-worker, family, friend, who said that thing, did that thing, or whatever. God's got him in his hands. And he calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And that's not an easy thing with some of the things going on. But he says he's got it. He's got it. compassion love that's never failing let mercy fall on me everyone needs forgiveness the kindness of a savior yes they do the hope of nations He can move the mountain My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save Forever 
Father, you did rose from the dead, and uh, you conquered the grave, the ultimate victory that sets us free from the here and now of sin, and from the then and will be of death. It's, it's such a great promise that um, shakes and rattles nations and confounds the wise, and it's just amazing. And let's not complicate it. Let's just cling to that truth, cling to you, 
and know that you will rescue us. You will save us from the turmoil. And even if it doesn't look like the way we want it to, Father, we know that you are good and you love us. And all things work together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And when you died on the cross, you held your arms wide and called each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for us today's beautiful sermon. And uh, may it be the spirit that speaks through Pastor Shane, through your word, and that uh, he takes a back seat and watches you work. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. morning. I was gone last week, so I missed some of you, but I also have the privilege of seeing some faces that have been gone for a while, and it is great to see you. And uh, I think one of the things that we have learned through the last year and a half was that the fellowship of the body is very valuable, and it is good to get together and be together. So, um, man, good to see you. I don't want to preach the sermon this morning, um, just to be honest. Uh, it is uh, one of the uh, it's one of the ones that at times is is a little difficult to preach because um, I'd like to just get up here and say all things are good Jesus is love everybody uh, have a great day and and yet there's a reality of who God is uh, as a loving God and a loving Father that He comes and and He He corrects behavior and He brings discipline uh, to to redirect His children and His people. Uh, for his glory, and yay, that's what we get to look at today. Aren't you guys excited? Yeah. We'll see. I, uh, you know, one of the things that we think about, uh, that, that I was thinking about this week is, um, you know, are we clinging to Christ? Is Christ the, the thing that we are attached to the mo- most desperately? Uh, and one of the um, challenges that I have, as many of you guys know, I am easily distracted by life, Right? Um, some of you know people like that. Some of you are people like that. Some of you have married people like that, and I, you know, pray for you. Uh, but I'm easily distracted by life. Things happen, and, and I find myself, you know, wandering and worrying about things. Sally came in this morning. She's like, hey, how you doing? And she goes, what are you thinking about? Or she actually said, are you in your nothing box? And I'm like, uh, no. And she's like, well, what are you thinking about? And I started listing off all of the stuff. I'm not sure if she actually wanted to hear it this morning. Um, but uh, I realized, like, I'm thinking about four or five different things and still have to get ready for the sermon this morning. And so I, you know, I'm easily distracted in, in life. And um, one of the, it's a unique and interesting principle about what we focus on. Uh, while riding motorcycles, one of the things that I learned in riding a sport bike was uh, when you're going through a corner, you're supposed to focus on where you want to end up coming out of the corner. And a lot of wrecks for guys on motorcycles are when they end up in a corner and something about the corner and, and what they anticipated being in the corner changes. Either their speed was too high, uh, there was a, there's an uh, obstacle in the road, something unexpected, there's gravel on the road or, or something along that line, 
and suddenly there's a change in their expectation and their focus gets drawn to that point. In fact, there's a phenomenon that happens when riding motorcycles. A lot of, uh, in the accident process, what they found out is that when somebody sees an obstacle, let's say you're coming around the corner and you see a pile of gravel, or, or one of the specific ones that I experienced in my own life was I realized I was going a little bit too fast for that corner for my comfort level, and I started focusing on the gravel at the corner, the edge of the road, and uh, the, uh, what my buddy Todd, who, who I ride with, what his training was, get your eyes onto where you want to be. And so I realized at that moment I was looking at the gravel, so I turned my eyes back to the corner where I wanted to leave. My bike turned way tighter than what I thought it could do, and out we came and we were fine. But a lot of wrecks happen because we get focused on that distraction or that obstacle in that path. And many, many motorcycles, they drive right off the road. The guys actually ride the bike right into the obstacle that they were trying to avoid because their focus actually locks in on those things. And I think that happens in our spiritual life as well. There's times where the world offers us great uh, looking things and, and, and stuff that's very distracting and our eyes get focused on that. And that although we want to follow Jesus, although we want to be Christ-like in our lifestyle, our focus keeps pulling us back to these other things. And it's very, very hard at times to get our eyes off of that. And I believe we're going to, we'll see that in this, in this, in this, uh, in the sermon today. Um, and then we're also going to see how, jo- how God is, is dealing with the nation of Judah and, and fulfilling his promise to bring discipline if they followed that pattern. Um, the, the illustration this morning is a loincloth, so hang on. Um, it's not mine, it's Jeremiah's. It's in the chapter 13, so if you guys, uh, if I, I do want to encourage you, please feel free to read ahead. If you don't like what's in the text, you can stay home. Um, but you can read ahead, and then you'll know where we're going on Sunday mornings. Uh, the passage that we're going to start off with is, actually, it's very interesting because it's, it's Jeremiah's plea to the people. Jeremiah does that from time to time, right? He, he, he's imploring with them to change the direction. Please listen. Change where you're going. Don't do this. And we actually find that today in Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 17. And this is what it says. Hear and give ear. Be not proud. For the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken into captivity. We know that's coming. We know that that's been the promise, uh, that's the prophecy of uh, Jeremiah, and he's warning Judah, you've got to turn away from this because captivity's coming. There's a, there's a, a forge from the north that's going to come down and, and wipe you out, and they are continuing to re- refuse to do that. Um, and at this particular point in Jeremiah's ministry, the Lord shows up and gives him an illustration, and he shares with him what he wants him to do. Um, and we're going to read that story. I, I think that p- part of me, at least, as, as I'm watching uh, this passage, I really... I really I want to say I empathize with Jeremiah, but I don't know that I do. I, I don't think of myself as being a guy that would be faithful in that scenario that he's in, watching his people suffer and, and continue to go down a path of, of ultimate destruction in this process. And I, I love that he continues to plead for the people. 
Um, and here's the reason why. Look at the, look at the illustration in uh, chapter 13 of Jeremiah, chapter 13, verse 1. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist, and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take it from there, uh, the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hid it, hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me, thus says the Lord. Even so, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. First thing that we see is that God is giving uh, Jeremiah this illustration of a loincloth, and that represents the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. There's some debate on whether he went to the Euphrates or he went to a river uh, that's only about three miles away that has a similar name as the Euphrates. Did they misinterpret it? I guess the Euphrates from Anathoth, his hometown, would have been about a three-month turnaround journey. It was a long ways away, so wherever you want him. He went to a river where he buried this loincloth. And you see in the, in the text, he actually, it's a personal loincloth that he purchased, he wore it himself, and then he took it out and buried it. Now, when we think about loincloth, it's, it's like our underwear, right? It's okay, we're going to talk about underwear on Sunday morning. But it's like your underwear, and, and it's, it's a very personal thing. Uh, it, it's, it's something that is very close, very personal. Um, in, in most places, it's very private. Um, my mom was always always warning me to make sure I had clean underwear on when I left, right? In case she got in an accident and ended up in the hospital. I'm not sure if that was about my driving or just the condition of my underwear. But uh, when we think about those things, even as we talk about them in person, we're just like, we're talking about underwear. Um, somebody, somebody suggested that I bring a pair of dirty and a pair of clean underwear. I'm like, are you volunteering? I'm not bringing mine. But we're uncomfortable with that. It's even the idea of that kind of, of discussing publicly something that private, that intimate, that personal. And yet this is a picture that God's giving the nation of Israel, that they're designed to be this, that we were actually made for that relationship with the Lord, to be intimately connected with him, to be in a personal, close proximity to him. But they weren't doing it, were they? He, he, that's the whole point of the illustration. He, he has him go and spoil or, or, and ruin this loincloth. Make it, did you hear the word that he used in there? He actually says it twice. They were good for nothing. He said this, this loincloth, after being destroyed by the earth and being uh, spoiled, it's good for nothing. And in the same way, the Lord says that he is going to make Judah and the pride of Jerusalem good for nothing. That's a deep and personal uh, 
prophecy from the Lord. It's, it's a significant thing. One of the um, things that was really amazing to me as I was uh, studying and preparing for this morning, I, I was following up the, this whole idea of spoiling and God addressing that issue for the Israel um, and the fact that he said he would do this. And uh, we actually find it in Leviticus chapter 26. You got to look at this, and I put it in my notes, uh, but I forgot to put it in these notes. Um, but he actually has in this particular passage, God himself says that he will do, or he's responsible for uh, do, bringing discipline upon the nation of Israel, all the way back in Leviticus. And he says this 21 times. As you go through this passage, as I read through it, I want you to notice where's the I wills or the eyes, where he's taking claim for this discipline. And this is, this is when the law is being given. This is way, way back at the beginning of the nation of Israel as they're getting established. And look at what he says in Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do these commandments, if you spurn my statues and if, you, if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eye and makes the heart ache. And you will sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your, uh, for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the, wind, the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supplies of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons, and your you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cut your dead body, cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste, and will make your sanctuary desolate. I will not smell your pleasant aromas, and I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a, desolate, a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. That was at the beginning. The nation of Israel, as they were receiving the laws, they were receiving the instruction from the Lord. God specifically says that He will spoil their pride, He will bring an end 
to the pride of Judah, to the great pride of Jerusalem. That's the illustration. Yeah. He continues in Jeremiah 13, verses 12 through 14. He says this, you shall speak this word. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every jar shall be filled with wine, and they will say to you, do we not indeed know that every jar will be filled with wine? Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land. And the king who sits on David's throne and the priest and the prophet and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion, that I should not destroy them. In the very next verse is where we read this morning, where Jeremiah begins to plead with the people, hear the word of the Lord, be not proud. What a devastating reality. Isn't it interesting that in this illustration of the wine jars being full, that God tells Jeremiah, you know what they're going to say to you? They're going to say, do you think we don't know that our wine jars are full? Really? Remember that the prophets of that time, were they, they were actually prophesying the opposite of Jeremiah. They were, they were arguing with him and, and saying the opposite, that God would bless them if they rebelled against the incoming nations, that God was going to bless them and provide great safety and, and rescue them out of the hand of those that Jeremiah was calling down on them. But Jer- Jer- Jeremiah was telling that God was bringing down on them. So we had this conflicting, contradictory uh, message that these prophets are bringing. And then the Lord says that he's going to make them all like drunk men. Even the king who sits on the throne, the priests, the prophets, all the people. Had a a situation um, when I was much, much younger. We had um, a, a, a gal, terrible rainstorm, she drove off the ditch and got stuck in this huge, it was like a three-foot-deep ditch, and her car was half, the, it was a minivan that was about half full of water. And so we're helping her get out, and she had a little kid in there, and so we got her out. And my brother-in-law and I parked behind her because it was a big rainstorm, really ugly, and four ways on both rigs and, you know, had tried to do some safety stuff. Cars are sneaking by us, and all of a sudden we heard this big crash at the back of our row of cars. And this guy had driven into the back of my brother's truck, my brother-in-law's truck, just drove right into it, completely collapsed the whole front of his, of his little S10, I don't know what it was, Datsun, probably a Toyota. Um, that's a joke. But he piled this thing into the back of there, and then he pulled out and started driving down the side of the road. Well, I'm like, whoa, 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 you're not leaving. You just, we're, we need to get the insurance out here and get this taken care of. Well, he actually hit me because I'm in the road, and so as, as he's driving up to me, I'm, I start to pound on his hood and have to jump off to the side because he just drives right by me. So the cops show up and all this stuff happens. Well, turns out we found him a mile down the road, sitting in his car with water all the way up to his, his side. They actually said that he was probably going in. They figured he was starting to go hypothermic. He was sitting in his car. It had stopped running because the motor had like sucked up all the, all the water. But he was still sitting in his car strapped in on, on its side. He was so drunk, they had no clue what was happening. He had no idea what was going on around him or anything. 
And that's really the picture that we see that the nation of Israel will be completely under, they'll be out of control. They won't have control in themselves. They won't be aware of what's going on. And, and at some level, they'll almost be blissful in this process. Now, I know that that's not every drunken scenario. We don't have time to deal with all of them, but you get the picture. They're not in control. They're being controlled by, by, by their desires, by really the worldly, fleshly desires. In fact, what's crazy about this, the, the, the epic moment in all this, is that this is actually a portion where the Davidic covenant is going to be broken. And it's broken by the people, but God's, God's actually following through on, this, on his promise out of Leviticus. But we see the promise to David in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 16 and 17 says this, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Here's this amazing promise that's coming from God to King David, and yet what we see in Leviticus is that, that there's going to be all of this devastation, and all these things are going to happen. And when we get to Jeremiah, he actually says that the king himself, whoever's on the throne is going to be drunk, and that I'm bringing an end to this. All of those who are in this situation are going to be driven out of the land. I'm removing you. You're going into captivity, and that's what's coming. And this covenant's being broken. And I would tell you that in the situation that they were in, I, I love that what we're going to see over the next, uh, in, in the next few passages is that Jeremiah begins to plead with the Lord. Remember, not long ago, God said, don't pray for him because I'm not going to answer your prayers. And Jeremiah begins to plead for the people anyway, because what he's seeing is so, so horrible, and it's so devastating and terrible for the nation. And I think that that's the beauty for you and for me, is that although we're looking at this from uh, in Jeremiah's time, we're reading it out of the text, and, and I can't imagine can't really imagine um, the desperation that has to be in the heart of Jeremiah for people to hear, to listen, to respond to the Lord. I find myself struggling with that. I find myself struggling personally with it. Why, why do I read the Word of God and still struggle with sin? Why do, why do I teach this stuff and still struggle with bad attitudes? I desperately want us all to follow the Lord and to hear the Word of God and respond to it. In fact, I think that's really the illustration for us even this morning as the church, is as we think about how God applied the, the illustration of the loincloth and the drunkenness and how, how the, the intentional relationship, the personal intimate relationship that's de- that they were designed to be in and that their influence was supposed to be that of God and His Word, and they chose both of the opposites. They chose rather than to be influenced and connected to God intimately to follow the world and to do the sacrificial thing of false gods and false worship and idolatry. And rather than being filled by His Word and being directed by that, they chose the gluttony and the materialistic things of the world even at that time. And if we look at the church, I, I love the fact that when we look at the church, uh, we're actually in a different relationship than even Israel was. You know, Israel was designed to cling to the Father. We're going to look at here in just a moment that Jesus says that we're abiding in Him. That we're actually connected, I think, even in a deeper way. 
And it's an amazing reality. In fact, Paul specifically speaks about the value of this relationship with Jesus. He, he makes a comment about it that I, you know, as I, I read it and I think about my focus and the things that I'm excited about, I, I realize that I, I could work on this. But look at what Paul says about his relationship with the Lord in Philippians 3, verse 7. And he says more, he's actually talking about all the reasons that he could have something to brag about in his life. But in verse 7, he begins to explain where he's really at. Philippians 3, 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Does Paul think that this is an important thing? He sees the relationship with him and the Lord as, in, as a, a cost, as a priceless value, something that everything else could be forfeited for. A similar relationship that the nation of Israel was supposed to have with the sovereign God, who, who, who bringing them out of Egypt proved that their relationship with him would result in great things for them. Conquering every nation, great wealth, a, a land of milk and honey. Sounds wonderful. And yet, not wonderful enough to keep their attention. I read what Paul says about this, and I think to myself, man, that's amazing. Yes, that's what I want. And then life happens, right? And all of a sudden, I'm distracted by things that are going on around me, and I'm angry when I shouldn't be angry, and I'm, I'm discouraged when I shouldn't be discouraged. Julie was such a great encouragement to me this morning. I'm like, I am so sorry. She goes, I'm just thanking the Lord that it was my left hand, not my right hand. That's an optimist for you. She was excited about the fact that it's, I mean, I'm, she's not excited. Don't, she's not sitting at home going, woohoo. Um, but, but she was praising God because it was her left hand that was broken, not her right hand. That's a perspective that, that I think we could apply even to our own faith and our own walk with the Lord. Um, how do you know what I'm focused on? How do you know what's important to me? A lot of what I talk about, right? You guys hear about things all the time, different things that are important to me. So one thing that's important to me. Car, Mustang, even more precisely. Absolutely. Why do you know about that? I use that as an illustration, but it is important to me. Do you know why? Because I focused time and energy and I convinced my bride to let us spend money on a Mustang. And why is that important? It doesn't, the car is really not important. What's important is that I find it important. And therefore, it's taken money, it's taken time, it's taken focus out of my life. Is Jesus important to me? Well, yeah, we all have to say that, right? Because I'm a pastor. But if I didn't get paid to do this, would I spend this time in the Word of God? If I didn't have this job, would I treat you all the same as I do on Sunday, on Monday through Saturday? I hope so. 
But the reality is no. Not the same. There's days where I come and I, and I come to church and it's part of being in this environment that I'm reminded of the joys of, that I get to do. There's days where I come to church and I'm reminded of how painful it is to do this. I struggle with that. Just having, having a title and a position doesn't actually make it all easier or better. Any retired pastors out there? Amen. Right? We, I have to choose to follow Jesus every day, every morning. And I have days where I do it better than others. My point is, what is my focus? What am I clinging to? What I really believe? We sang in a song this morning about that we want to do what we believe. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay, I do what I believe. And then there's days I realize that I'm not focused on the right stuff. I'm not clinging to Christ as we see in the text. I'm not actually uh, abiding in him as we're encouraged to do. Paul says that this idea, this relationship, and it's, it's a, the most beautiful relationship because although the nation of Israel lost their king, God had a solution to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that he promised to Abraham that he promised to do on his own life. It wouldn't matter if the nation failed because God was going to make it happen. Abraham was, was laying down. He didn't walk through the blood to, uh, to affirm and, and, and seal the covenant. God did. And he finished that with the person of Christ. And Paul's challenge is to say this is so important to him that he's willing to give up everything for it. And I guess one of the things we have to recognize, I've, I've heard, it, heard it said, I've uh, interacted with a young lady many, many years ago um, at a job that we had, and she looked at me and she said, I just can't believe that, there, that God would ever would ever do anything harmful to his creation. I just can't believe it. And I would love to hold that theology. I would love to hold the theology that all are saved, and no matter how much bad we do, no matter how much we reject the word of the Lord, that we're all going to get into heaven, and maybe there'll just be a classification process. I would love that. But there's a reality about the gospel, there's a reality about the word of God that we need to understand it is serious. It is, it is life and death in this process. And, and we're reminded of that, right, in, in Matthew chapter 7. You guys know I, I love this passage. It terrifies me, and it, it and I, uh, not terrifies me, that's the wrong word. I'm intrigued by this passage because I want to know Jesus. It says this, I want to know the Father. It says this in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name did, and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's interesting that the next words out of his mouth talk about wise and foolish. Everyone that who hears uh, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the, the rains fell uh, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and, and great uh, was it the fall of it. 
The reality is, is that there is a faithful righteousness in God the Father, and that when we think about being a believer, when we think about uh, what it means for the church to deal with the fact that God disciplined Israel, God disciplined Judah because of their constant rebellion, I think we need to hold very carefully the, the realities of, the, of Scripture that say if we're just being religious, if we're just playing the game and we're not known of God, the, the scary part is we can, we can know of Him. We can, we can do some of the things. We can be very, very religious and not be known by Him, not be in a relationship with Him. And that's, I think, something that should cause us great concern. It should cause us to look at our lives and ask the question, are we known of God? Are we in a relationship with Him? Are we connected to Him? The question that keeps coming up to my, into my mind is, is, is part of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's, you know, what are we filled with? What is it that's driving me? What is it that I'm focused on? He says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to uh, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we are to be wise, if we are to be focused on the right things, if we are to be fulfilling the will of our Father, I think that, that we need to have our eyes set on the right thing. We need to have our focus on the right stuff. I love what Paul does in Ephesians because he really lays out what the church would look like, right? Did you see what the church looks like? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. I mean, all of our musicians are going, finally a church service I can enjoy. But he doesn't stop there. He says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another at a reverence, at a, at a reverence for Christ. This picture of the church is, is a, an amazing family event where we all are different and we all have issues. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't need submission, right? We wouldn't have to submit if all of you would just do things the way I think you should do them. It'd be easy, Right? which is all what you think about me. It's the reality of the heart, and it's, it's God's church. It's in this process of being together and being filled by the Spirit that we begin to actually reflect the character of Him and His purposes, and we fulfill the will of His Father. Now, the question is, how do we do this? Because I want to do it. Anybody else want to do it? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to put any pressure on you. You should raise your hands. You, how are you guys not raising your hands? Some of you always disobey me. You're like, you do, you do whatever you want to anyway. How are we going to do this? What's the purpose of this? The, the, what are we filled with? The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah was focused on the earthly possessions. They were focused on their adultery, the, the idolatry. All of the things of the nations around them had consumed them and overwhelmed them. And if, as a church, we are not far from that reality of being consumed by the things of this world, being uh, uh, completely distracted by possessions and wealth and health and, and, and all of those things that come with this. 
comfort. And it's amazing to me that, that so much of the modern, uh, modern service, modern uh, uh, church theology is about people feeling good. I don't feel good some days. There's still things that I got to do that are right, even when I don't want to. There's still right things for me to respond, even when they're not comfortable. I want to share with you what Jesus says about this. My hope is that it's an encouragement. Because part of the wrestling for me this week as I was going through this process was like, ugh. This whole thing about the fact that God, as a, I mean, I would love it to be that it, we would just get in. But the Lord has expectations for us as his children to be walking and, and abiding in him and living like him and, and reflecting some of his, his character traits, his glory. I mean, we're all in this process of development, and, and um, I think the answer is that we abide in Christ. And we're going to read a little bit about that in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Because I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not, uh, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I think there's several pieces of this that we have to wrestle with. Um, one of the key things is that we can do nothing apart from him. If we're not connected to Christ, then, then our ministries, our, uh, you know, the, the things that we think we're doing, the spiritual side of things, they may look good. There's, did you guys know that there's a way to do church that looks good that's not living? Are you guys aware of that? It's amazing. It's actually way easier than trying to get spiritual growth. It's way, way easier. You do good music. You get a good sermon, and you, you don't let people spend too much time together so they can offend one another, and you just keep them moving. You can get a lot of people to come to that show. Um, I actually was pretty good at it when I was in youth ministry. That was one of the things I was pretty good at. We did a pretty good show. had lots of kids showing up. And it was during that process that I realized, where are the disciples? Where are the young men and women who are coming out of this process saying, I want to serve God with my life? I'm not saying going into pastoral ministry or, mi or missions. I'm saying serve God with my life. 
whatever career it is, whatever career path it is, serve God with my life. And I became very concerned that what I was doing was entertaining kids and not actually seeing changes, not actually seeing people grow in their spiritual walk with the Lord. And it was shortly after that that, that the Lord said, that's because you're dead in your spiritual walk with me, and that's the problem. Because you're not connected to the vine, so nothing you're doing is connected to the vine. And I thought, I'm a youth pastor. That can't be possible. So if we're not connected to him, if we're not connected to the source, the other thing I love, did you see in this? It, if you're not producing fruit, you're pruned. If you are producing fruit, you're pruned. Pruned if you do and pruned if you don't. Right? That's what he said. So if, you, if we're producing fruit and we're getting pruned, I think at times I'm like, hey, leave me alone. I'm doing work. And he goes, yeah, but I want more. I'm not a big fan of that. Anybody like pruning? Not here on earth or spiritually, right? No. But that's what he says he's going to do. Even if you're producing fruit, he's going to prune us. The harsh reality is, is that those that are not producing fruit are thrown into the fire. And I love this verse in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We know that the Scripture also says that, that they'll know we are His by our love for one another. So there's this idea of bearing fruit, producing fruit in our, in our spiritual lives, in our ministry lives, which all of us are ministers, all of us are in ministry, producing fruit and loving one another. And what does it say that, that God's the Father's glorified by? Come on, you can say it. Right there. Much fruit. Much fruit. What if God exchanged our retirements for our discipleship numbers? What if we use the same matrix? So whatever percentage you're increasing his kingdom, he, he increases your financial retirement. Anybody want to sign up for that program? I don't. I'm not saying that's, uh, you guys, I'm not using that as saying that that's somehow spiritual, we're going to do that. That's not the point. The point is, I think we need to take a real serious look and ask ourselves, have we become so disconnected? Are we comfortable where we're at that we're not even concerned about the fruit that's being produced in our lives? We're not, we don't even question anymore what it means to be in the will of the Father. The nation of Israel was not even concerned. They weren't concerned at all that God the Father, when he was speaking, was saying, you're going the wrong direction. You're not connected to me. And they're like, yeah, whatever. They weren't concerned about it. It, never, it didn't bother them. In fact, the, the truth bothered them. My concern is for us as a church that we don't read these kind of stories and we don't see the character of God and we disregard the reality that for you and for me, I think it's as easy for us to become disconnected from the Father, produce our spiritual practice of church, and have no spiritual fruit being produced in our life. Or very, very little. And I don't see God being okay with that. And, I, and again, I know it. We're not, not saying that we're trying to earn his favor. That's not the point. 
But I do think that there's a principle here that says that if we're not connected to him, if we're not in relationship with him, if we're not abiding in him, that our destination is very, very ugly. And that he desires that relationship and the gift that was given by God in his son, Jesus Christ, Paul says is worth sacrificing everything for. So the question that I have that I've been wrestling with myself I apologize ahead of time for this, but am I clinging to Jesus like a good, clean pair of underwear? Now, you guys, you laugh at that, and I said it that way on purpose because I want us to be able to think more practical about this. I want us to be able to wrestle with this on a daily basis. When you go to get dressed tomorrow morning, am I clinging to Jesus? Am I connected to him intimately? Let's use this illustration that God gave through Jeremiah for you and for me every morning. I think it's an important reality for us to walk through. I think it's an important truth for us to wrestle with. My prayer is that you will be convicted like me, that I need to grasp Christ more deeply, more consistently, more often. I need to be in his word more often. I need to reach in the spots that I can reach, that I can seek him, I need to do that more because I'm still not connected like I'd like to be. I'm still not in that intimate relationship that I want. Now listen, the theology in this, I'm in Christ, I get it. Hebrews 10, 10, 14, with one, with one sacrifice, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I get it. We're in but are you connected to the vine? Are you experiencing the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit present in your life daily? Is it changing how you live? Is it changing how, how you deal with conflict? Is it changing how you deal with disappointment in your life? Is it changing the focus of your daily life? Israel disregarded the word of God. Judah disregarded the word of God, and he led them into captivity. The most amazing part, it was because he was a loving, faithful God, and he did it to bring forth Christ and and to bring his kingdom to earth. All of that from a sovereign God, and that same sovereign God that accomplished all of those things through all of the hardship has offered you and I the same relationship with Jesus, actually a deeper and more intimate relationship than even that of the Jews. We, uh, uh, the Jews of the Old Testament, they're offered the same relationship through Christ in the New Testament, but he says, come and abide in me. and I'll abide in you. That's the relationship that we're offered. And my question is, are we taking that reality? Are we, are we partaking of the vine? You know, the coolest part is one of the first parts, places it can start is right here in your Bible. Open it up and read it. Be here tomorrow night at Mon- Monday night at 6 o'clock. Get in your Bibles. You want to know what Jesus says? You want to know where the life is? You want to know about being connected to the vine? Get into his word. Spend time in prayer. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? Try it for a whole month, every day, and watch what God does. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your body. Thank you for this family. Lord, thank you that they put up with me and that we put up with one another. God, I do pray that you would use... uh, you would use what little we bring uh, 
to the table even this morning to worship, and you would take it and, and, and use it for great things. And, Lord, I, I realize that um, that is almost too much focused on us if we're concerned about what little we bring. I'm, I'm being convicted even as I'm praying. Father, because this is about you, and it's about our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's the grandeur of that relationship. It's the magnificent reality of your majesty and your glory and your holiness and your righteousness that we should come and fall on our face before you and exalt you and say, Abba, Father, holy God, holy, holy, holy. Lord, I pray this week as we wrestle with your word, as we wrestle with our own lives, that we would see in our hearts where we're hanging on to worldly things or we're clinging to the, the, the spoiled uh, goods of this earth and we would turn our hearts and our attention back to you. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we celebrate you, as we love one another, and as we exalt you in all of our days and all of uh, our opportunities to praise your name. Would you join us in our last song as we reflect on what was just spoken of today and just lift his name on high as we... One thing that I like about this song that uh, I was sharing with Ben this morning is uh, this is such a simple concept. This is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. And then just as Shane finished saying, this is my daily bread your very word spoken to me. And if Jesus is that living word, that means when we open up our Bibles to hear what he has to say, that's Jesus speaking to us through his Holy Spirit, teaching us every single day. And where the physical verbiage and grammar and syntax, that doesn't change, there's a reason it's called the living word that's alive and active and just pierces our souls read the same passage over and over and over again and then the next day it's just something completely different because it just impacts you in such a new way so let's reflect on that this is the air I breathe this is the air I breathe Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your I'm lost without you. 
This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. You are the air that we breathe, Father, every day. And may your words speak to us as we dive in to understand you more, to know you more, and to abide in you. And May fruits like little daffodils begin to just sprout in our lives, not because of anything we're doing, but because of you working in us. We look forward to it, and we thank you, Lord. And 
a blessing on everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good week.